I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for His own.
in my distress, He kindly will help me. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through Thy name. And He said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, he to whom the Son will reveal him. What a Savior. All right. So, last week, we took a look at the origin of the spiritual battle. And if we are seeking to live like God, to be like Jesus, and we are because we love Him, He's saved us, He's shown us that He gave His perfect life for us. We know that in our minds. We know that in our hearts. We know that in Romans 8, He says that we're being conformed to the image of His Son. We're predestined by He who plans all things. That's quite a thought, isn't it? That there is no coincidence, Brother Gene. He plans all things, and He has planned to help us through these adversities that we find, that we run into every day, and a lot of times all day long. There are issues in living a Christian life in this fallen world. So in this spiritual battle, what's happening? Well, we face opposition, don't we, for living for God. We face opposition for telling others of a godly life. We face opposition trying to raise our children by the doctrines of the Holy Bible. The opposition is everywhere. And the opposition has a head, has a source, has an origin. And so we looked at that last week, and we're just going to go over a couple of highlights, and then we're going to continue on uh, in this study. So in Genesis chapter 3, you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, and I do realize that all of us know this account, Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read a good bit of this to you. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now the serpent was possessed by or entered into by Satan, 
He is the enemy. He's the enemy today. He's been the enemy ever since this account that we're looking at this morning. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now I think she added a little something to what God had said there about touching it. But maybe she was doing what we do sometimes. I tend to exaggerate a little bit to make my point a little stronger, don't you? My wife will tell you, yeah, he does. <laughs> but she added a little something to it by saying, neither shall we touch it lest we die. And then the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Immediately, what does, is he telling her? He's telling you God lied to you. That's what he's telling her. God lied to you. That's just not true. Let me tell you, he's doing the same thing today in the minds and hearts of men. He's saying this is just not true. This is just not true. This book could be written about you. You could be God. That's basically what he was telling her, isn't it? He said, you shall not surely die, verse 4, Genesis chapter 3, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. All right. I'm not going to read it all, but the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, tree to be desired to make one wise. She was tempted to think that she could be like God, or let's say equal to God. She would know everything he knows. And if that's the case, she would have the ability to do everything he can do. He was tempted to think that. I can have all that power for myself. Again, the lie is the same these days. We saw that uh, the eyes of them both were open. Satan actually told the truth about that. They were open. Now they knew that they were sinful. Now they knew they were naked. They immediately covered themselves up with some works of their hands. They took fig leaves and sewed them together. We looked at a little side note uh, last week about the fig tree that, that Jesus cursed because it didn't have any figs on it. And he went there to that fig tree for food or nourishment or a fruit. And what does fruit do? It nourishes life. It gives life, right? Fig tree couldn't do that. Neither could the fig leaves. They used the fig leaves to cover themselves. And it looked pretty good to them. I can't see you. You can't see me. But God sees all you see. God saw right through the works of their hands. And he does today. He does today. If there's any good that we can do, it's him doing it through us. Period. Amen. You see, he's a jealous God. 
He will share his glory with who? No one. No one. All right. Down to verse 14. This is actually where we were last week. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. And we kind of speculated uh, about the serpent uh, being a beautiful creature before this curse. Before, instead of walking upright now, this serpent has to crawl on its belly. And dust will it eat. Because thou art, hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And again, we speculated a little bit, and said that this creature was probably a beautiful creature, and probably loved by Eve. She cared for, they cared for the animal, she cared for this creature. Might have been her favorite. She listened to what he said. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, this is verse 14, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So Satan was cast out of heaven onto earth. He's stuck here. He can't go back to heaven. He's stuck here. In dust shalt thou eat, God said, all the days of thy life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And we saw last week that the seed, again, is another name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the seed of the woman and God. Not a man. So all through this account, we see sin, the one thing that cannot take it away, works as a hand. Again, go back to Cain and Abel. I'm sure whatever he presented was beautiful. But he did it with his hands. He grew it in the earth, you see. But Abel's sacrifice was an animal that, again, showed the picture in the future of Jesus Christ. Being innocent, living a, a perfect life, 33 and a half years, we think, and then gave that life by shedding his blood for us. All right. Now, in Luke chapter 10, and I read this last week, our, uh, our goal is to continue this study from where we were last week. Brother Gene read it to us in verse 18. Jesus said unto them, 
I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. This is happening back here in the account we've been reading in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus, of course, was there. There was nothing created in Genesis that he didn't create. He saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. The serpent now crawled, was not able to stand upright and walk. Satan is now on this earth. And he is stuck here on this earth. We also saw in Job where Satan goes to and fro in the earth. And he's as a roaring lion as we see elsewhere, seeking whom he may devour. This is the enemy. What we're trying to point out now is that the enemy of God in the beginning has always been the enemy of God and has always been your enemy because you're God's. But what we want to point out this morning is that we have been given power, strength, and get this, authority over the enemy. The very next verse, we're in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, after the Lord uh, gave witness of what he saw when Satan was cast from heaven. Why was he cast from heaven? We just read it. Because thou hast done this thing, God said, thou art cursed above all cattle. Not only did it pertain to the animal himself, but Satan who possessed the serpent. And through, I think, the connection of Eve and the serpent. And I think that was a tight connection. Again, I think she probably loved the serpent. It was a beautiful creature. Satan used that love to get to her and to tempt her to eat of the forbidden fruit. The very next verse says, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He had sent these seventies out to preach of him, to tell of him, to preach the gospel, to spread the word of God. And they come back and said, Wow, even the devils are subject unto us if we're in you, if through thy name, they said. I want us to realize that we have that power too. God, when he saved us, has made us witnesses of him. He has sent us out to preach the gospel to all creatures. And he has not sent us out without the strength, without the understanding, without the power, or without the authority to preach of him. And the enemy does not stand a chance. We need to be more confident. We need to be uh, more upright in our walk. We, should be, we need to be quicker to respond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he has given us power 
over all the enemy. All serpents and scorpions, power over the devil and all of his emissaries. Poisonous and hurtful in nature. Serpents and scorpions. Poisonous and hurtful in his nature. Satan and his emissaries. You see the relationship there? He's poison to us. Now turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 13. I just want to bring a little correlation here. We're going to talk about the dust. All right? John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. In other words, he knew, once again, he's not subject to time. He knew it was time. His hour had come to sacrifice his life for you and for me. And what did he do with that time? When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them, unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and going to God, went to God, he rises from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He washed their feet. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Thou dost thou, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Because he felt like that was below the Lord's stature to wash his feet. Then Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. That tells me that we must be washed by the Lord Jesus Christ, or we have no part with him. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Amen. Just wash me everywhere then. Amen. Jesus said unto him, he, is he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, 
Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, why were their feet dirty? Why did the Lord wash their feet? What was the example? Well, they walked in sandals. They walked in dirt streets, dirt fields, everywhere they went, dirt. As far as we can tell, they weren't pulling concrete sidewalks yet. Their feet were dirty, that's why. As they walked, dust and dirt gathered up on their feet. We've already been talking a little bit about dust this morning. Part of Satan's curse from God for tempting Eve was, you will crawl on your belly, and for all your days you will eat dust. Well, what does the dust represent? It's sin. When we walk in this life, and I'm talking about the spiritual walk, we're, we're walking, trying to do right according to God's word. Why? Because we love Him and we don't want to offend Him. Yes. We owe it to Him, yes. But sin jumps on us as we walk, doesn't it? It does. Every day. The temptations are there. The influences are there. And yes, that, that sin, those influences, they do have a power behind them. And it's the enemy who wants you dirty. So he can accuse you. Remember he said things about Job. When he was talking to God, he said he just loved you because you got all that cattle and all those kids and all that stuff you blessed him with. That's the only reason he loves you. But God proved him wrong, didn't he? In 1 John chapter 1, Verse 5, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Here's that walk. Here's that walk relative to them walking down the street in the day, Jesus' day, and dirt accumulating on their feet and ankles. So as we walk, sin accumulates on us, doesn't it? It does. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Because the truth reveals our sin, doesn't it? Oh, but listen to this. If we confess our sins, verse 9, there's the humble heart of the saved right there. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Remember when the two were uh, standing up and praying and, and one said, I'm so glad, thank you, that I'm not like that guy over there. That guy over there was hanging his head going, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. If we confess our sins, He, remember we talking about the God that cannot lie, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where is Satan found? He's found among the dust of this earth, isn't he? The sinfulness of this earth. The corruptness if that's a word. The corruption of this earth. That's where you find him, isn't it? Yeah. When we slip and sin, he loves it. That's his purpose in life. He's seeking whom he may devour up and down the earth. But praise God. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. We just read that in Luke 10. By any means. In other words, the enemy doesn't have what it takes to hurt you. Doesn't have what it takes to touch your soul because you're safe in the hands of Jesus Christ. All right. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, in other words, the promises of God that we know are coming by faith that he's given us, then do we with patience wait for it. We've been talking about that walk, the Christian walk every day. Well, it's a race, isn't it? But it's a race to be run with patience, knowing that God's Word is true and that His promises shall come to pass. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. You know what infirmities mean? It's our spiritual weaknesses. It's our lack of confidence that I was talking about earlier. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And this is one of those but gods. But the Spirit itself, the Spirit of God itself, maketh intercession for us with groanings that which cannot be uttered. Let's praise God. He knows the mind of God, doesn't he? And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Well, what an awesome thing to know that you're in the will of God. 
and that he is in control of that. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Or whom he did foreknow, and he's always known you before the foundation of the world. And that word foreknow has a little more in it than a simple knowledge of something in being. No, it's with affection. He loved us. He foreloved us, you see. Or whom he did foreknow or forelove, he also did determine or predestinate them to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's powerful. Predestination, that's powerful, isn't it? God's in control. It's going to happen. All of your life, you're going to continue to be conformed to be like Him. Why? That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, then He also called. No, He didn't leave it up to my good sense. And it's a good thing. Because I don't have much. Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying the price that I couldn't pay. Amen. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. Praise God, that day's coming. And it's coming soon. We're going to know him when we see him. Why? Because we're going to be like him. We're going to share that glory. What shall we say to these things? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Remember, Satan accused Job, didn't he? He accuses you too. But who shall do that? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. And let me tell you, the enemy has no power over God's power. He has justified you. He has called you. He is glorifying you. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, here we are. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He foreloved us, remember? Shall tribulation? The Lord said in this world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, remember? He said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword... For as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, Satan and his emissaries are included in this list, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What a Savior. What a provider. You are safe in Him. Oh, that we would trust Him and walk with confidence knowing that there is not one thing that could possibly separate us from Him. Nothing. What a Savior.